This is Reinvented. I'm Chris Bordoni, and this show is about the art and science of transformation. In season two of Reinvented, we're exploring ways to design a better life from your physical health to your mental well being and far, far beyond. Today's episode is all about food. I'm joined by Josh Hillis, author of Lean and Strong. And in this conversation, we're going to talk about why diets don't work and how to use eating guidelines and eating skills to reset your relationship with food. If you've been looking for a more flexible and sustainable approach to eating better, not to mention one that actually works, you're going to love this conversation. Let's get started. Josh, I'm super excited to have you on the show. Um, I, I heard about you or learned about you through a, a mutual friend of ours, Tim Anderson, who's also on this season of the show. Awesome guy. Um, and really love what he's doing with his show, The Podcast. Um, but anyways, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of your work. I'm really interested in having this conversation with you. Now, I know I, I've, I have a copy of your book. I went through it. It's highlighted. I was really, really into it. And I'm, I'm trying lots of things from the book. Now, half of the book is about getting stronger, right? So there's the lean part and there's a the strong part. Um, we could have a really interesting, maybe we should have a second conversation about the strength part of it. But for today, let's focus on the food part of it, the lean part of it, because I think that's that's something that for a lot of people is really tricky. So let's try to untangle totally. some of that. Maybe as a starting point, the diet industry is crazy, right? Broadly speaking, um, it, it, just as someone who spent some time with health challenges, like trying to figure out what, like, you know, how to eat and, and what that all should look like, there's a ton of conflicting information. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Right. Yeah. Um, I think you wrote in your book that the diet industry is, is backwards, which is an interesting way of saying it, but like maybe just to start out, can we just walk through some of the myths in the, in the food or wellness industry and then talk about like, why do they continue to persist? And then I think that'll be a helpful yeah. jumping off point to talk about like, what do we actually do about all this stuff? So I guess, um, maybe it's like an obvious starting point. Does dieting work? And is it a good strategy for most people? <laughs> um, so uh, it is not a good strategy for most people, and it does work for some people, which which I, I think is is really important to say because um, everyone has like a friend who like every diet they've ever done has worked for, you know. And so there there is there is a percentage of people, and it's really hard to nail down what that percentage is. It's like extraordinarily hard. Um, best guess it's probably around 15%, right? Okay. It might be as high as 30%, but it, it's for sure not the majority. It's like for sure, for sure, for sure, not the majority. So this other like 60 to 85% of people, um, it's probably not great. So what we're going to talk about is, is, is what I would call like eating skills, right? Mm -hmm. Like skills for eating and diets don't teach you any skills. It's kind of like if I handed you a guitar and said, just play, right? Like, and I didn't teach you and, and I gave you like really strict rules about the notes you had to hit and stuff like that. You know, like it's, it's a, it's, it's giving you a rule set. It's not teaching you any skills. And then the rule set probably isn't flexible enough to fit into your actual life. Right. Most people are going to have, um, like, like I'm, I'm sure most people listening have done some, have done a diet, you know, or a dozen and it worked until there was like some change in their schedule or they had a social event or things got stressful or whatever happened at some point, like the rule set was too rigid to work. And there was something that really mattered to them, right? Like their job mattered to them or like driving their kids to this like big project that they had for a few weeks, like really mattered to them or whatever it was. There was a thing that really, truly mattered to them that, um, 
they couldn't maintain this rigid rule set and do the thing that mattered to them at the same time. Interesting. So I feel like so there's there are some people for whom diets work, which is good to know, yeah. right? And this is going to get to a question I'm going to I'm going to talk about in a moment. But but I think yeah, whatever that percentage is, it's small. It's it's not the majority of yeah. us. It's certainly not not me and it, and um, and a lot of people that I know. Um, but I think the other part of that's really interesting too. That like it's the rigidity of the diet that is the problem for people. It's like it works until it doesn't work. It works until the situation changes, and then those rules aren't flexible enough. Okay, I think that's that's really really helpful. So on that question. Like a lot of people have dieted, right? A lot of people have tried diets. Um, When you try one and it fails, is it just sort of just like you wasted some time? Is it like you gain a couple pounds or you lose a couple pounds, but you can't, you know, you can't go farther than that if that's your goal? Or is it like actually counterproductive longer term in some way? Really individually, it could go either way, right? Like I've for sure had clients who, um, they did, uh, you know, they did a dozen diets and it always crashed and burned. But like when they started working with me, they're like, oh, you know what? I actually did learn some recipes I really like. And mm. I did learn like these ways of like looking at, you know, like, like they might have accidentally learned some skills along the way. Right. Um, but for the vast majority of people, what it, what it actually looks like is that it creates sort of like a like a superstition about how food works. It creates this sort of like really heavy level of perfectionism. And so the first thing that we have to like, we end up unpacking with 80% of my clients is this sort of like perfectionist kind of thing where if they, if they don't eat, you know, they're like, Oh, I had a muffin. I'm off my diet. I'll start again next week. Yeah. Right. They're like, oh, half my plate wasn't vegetables. It was only a third. So I gave up for the rest of the month, you know? Yeah. And, and that kind of thing, it gets so ingrained. Um, that's a thing that's really counterproductive for a while. And we really have to find ways to be with those perfectionist thoughts that we got from dieting without acting on them. Yeah. I feel like that spiral that you're describing is so hard to deal with, right? Where you're like, well, I might as well like since I, since I blew it, I might as well just go have a pizza and, and like a quart of ice cream or pint of ice cream, whatever people eat. Yeah. Right. And like, just, it's like out of control. Um, yeah, I definitely know that feeling. What about, what about this? Um, are there magical foods? Like, are there silver bullets? Like if I, <laughs> if I put cayenne in my smoothie, like can I load it up with, you know, coconut milk and avocado and all sorts of other stuff? Like, does that work? Is there anything that works like that? No, no, okay. 100% no. Um, <laughs> And that's another one of those things where both like, like people, that's another thing that like is is almost like a little bit superstitious, right? Like people are taught to think of foods in in like a magical way. We're like, like butter in my coffee magically works. Or like, um, if I have a brownie, like I'm magically, you know, like everything's wrong for, you know, and nothing is, nothing is anywhere near that. We don't want to look at ingredients. Yeah. I don't even want to look at individual meals. You know, like, like we want to zoom out as much as if people are looking at like weeks and months and they're like, oh, like everything gets a lot simpler. You know, if you're like, oh, I eat somewhat balanced meals most of the time over this month, then I don't have to worry about this magic ingredient. I don't have to worry about like pizza night with my kids. I don't have to, you know, like, yeah, all of a sudden, like it's all that stuff starts to we we, we get a lot more perspective. <laughs> Well, I think, I think that's interesting too, because I feel like, um, 
like myself included, like you, you have, uh, you have like an event or something that's coming up in the near term and you're like, all right, shit, I gotta get my act together. You're like, okay, like it's the spring and like, I'm going to go to the beach in a couple of weeks. And so like, you know, six weeks from now, so like, I really got to lose some weight or like I'm getting married or like whatever it is. Right. But what you're talking about is like, you're not talking about that time horizon. You're talking about skills over like your life. And so I'm, I'm assuming that you're not going to see the same results. Like you're not going to crash and lose a bunch of weight in four weeks or whatever, but you're talking about like, how do you sustainably get to a place where you feel good, look good, all that sort of stuff over a longer period of time. Is that, is that right? It's, it's helpful. It's, it's really helpful to take a longer view because you don't get tripped up in as many things, but if someone does have a shorter goal that that can work, you know, you're just making more changes faster. And ideally there's still changes that fit your values <laughs> and like, like matter to you and express the kind of person you want to be and like a reasonable and like fit into your life. Um, but you could make those changes rapidly. Well, that's helpful to know. Uh, one other one: can you can you out exercise a bad diet? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I mean, so so the thing is, like, I think um, probably a lot of people listening, um, I, like, every, every everyone I know that's ever started working out started working out, and they're like, oh wow, I lost a little bit, of, lost a little bit of weight. Maybe that's two pounds or four pounds or whatever, and they they did lose that weight, and then you're done. Like that's like the, the weight that you're going to lose from working out, you lost that. And, um, and now you're working out to maintain that, which is why like, it's cool to find other reasons to work out, right? Let's work out for like stress relief. Let's work out. Cause it's empowering to, to like get stronger and lift heavy things. Like, like let's find some other reasons. Cause that like two to four pounds you lost is probably it. That's helpful to know. I feel like, um, the, I guess the other thing I wanted to ask you about is... Um, what, what, one little thing about that, uh, research is, is pretty clear and all my clients have, have um, I shouldn't say all, a lot of my clients have noticed a lot, for a lot of people, it's easier to maintain their eating habits while they're working out. Like when you look at the research where exercise correlates with um, maintaining weight loss, it's because the people that are exercising tend to be better at maintaining their eating habits. So they go hand in hand. Yeah, they, they can't. Got it. Yeah, yeah, cool. That makes sense. Um, let's talk about emotional eating. I know a lot of people who who struggle with you know feeling like um, you know you can't control how much you eat or like you go up and down. You know you you like you kind of have these boom and bust cycles where you're doing really well and then you kind of fall off the wagon, like all all that sort of stuff, right? Yeah. And I think you were saying that like there's a big emotional component to that. Um, so I yeah. guess give me a sense, like, what does that look like for people? And then what's, what's going on there? Like how, how did something like food, which is broadly good for you and important to your survival become this thing that's playing this other role? Like how did it get intertwined with your emotions in the first place? Oh man, that, <laughs> that's a big, uh, wonderful nerdy question. It's part of the unique way that humans learn. Um, we're really good at making arbitrary connections between things. Like you can teach it, you can teach a dog to like to get hungry when you ring a bell, right? Sure. But it's like really direct. Humans, humans can learn like, oh, you know, like when I hear this song, it reminds me of when I was at the beach when I was in you know, 10th grade and the girl smiled at me. And, you know, I mean, like, like, like we can have these long connections of things that are totally abstract where I hear the song. It reminds me of something a million years ago to this feeling I felt, you know? And so because we're capable of learning like that, then it's, it's one of those things where we can, um, we can start to associate food with a, um, a good way to numb out or avoid, uh, different kinds of emotional pain. And it's one of those things where a lot of times that starts with, you know, like something really small and then it starts to generalize to 
like all of the different kinds of stresses in our lives, it's one of those things where we become less and less tolerant to having uncomfortable emotions. And then we're finding more and more places to use food to numb them that out. And food kind of becomes like, uh, like our go-to coping strategy. And so um, the more we become intolerant to like uncomfortable feelings and uncomfortable thoughts, and the more we use food as our, as our like go-to coping mechanism, the more it becomes this like really, really direct learning to where like, this is just what we do. Interesting. So it's like, it's totally rational. Like it's a function of, you know, our brains being amazing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it's, it's, it's good. I imagine in a moment, like it's good to, to calm yourself down or to deal with those emotions longer term, it creates some problems. And presumably part of that problem too, is like we're, we're in an environment where food is abundant in ways it's never been. And it's also nutritionally devoid in other ways that it's never been too. Right. Like, so presumably that's, that's part of the problem with using it for a, as a coping strategy. Yeah. Um, and, and it's important to, to like, like it really is important to highlight that it, it does work. Like it, it works really well. It's a, it's actually normal to emotionally eat sometimes. Mm. the The issue is when it becomes our only coping strategy, and the issue is when we become um, is we is when really we start really going out of our way to avoid like uncomfortable feelings. When we're like, oh, I can't feel sad. Um, I it's wrong to feel mad. It's you know all all those sort of like we start creating these like rules about like I'm not supposed to feel this way. And, you know, I look on Instagram and everyone, everyone looks super happy, you know, like, and I have the, and I have a personal trainer who says good vibes only. And, you know, like, and all these things where all of a sudden we create this like rule set where we can't feel that way. Yeah. And then we have to numb it out. And, um, and what we actually need is we actually need, uh, skills and tools to be with those emotions and still take actions that are in line with our values. Yeah. That's so helpful. And just out of curiosity, like, is it, you mentioned a couple of emotions there, but could it also be something like boredom or could it be mm-hmm. like, you know, like do people use food to like to heighten a positive feeling? Like it's Friday, you're excited, it's the weekend. And so you have, you know, a 12 pack of beer, like whatever people do, right? Like can, can it look like, can it address all of the emotions, not just the negative ones? Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, it's basically you're like, you're like, I want a state change of some sort. Where it's like, oh, it's the weekend. I feel good. I want to feel better, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, man, how how many times do people use um, like a treat or alcohol or whatever to be like, I'm off work. I'm gonna chill out. Yeah. Because um, the same thing, like they just connect it up. Like I'm chilling out with this other thing. Like that other thing is now required for me to chill out. Yeah. Um, and it's really funny because you know, like people will say things like, oh, you know, like. When I take that first sip of beer, when I get off work, like I'm probably like, oh, and you're like, well, that sip of beer, you, you know, you're not, you're not feeling it yet, you right. know, and you're not, you know, it's just, it's entirely just like a, a trigger to, you know, it's, it, it's so fascinating to like, to think about this because I feel like we have these loops, like, which, and I think that's part of the design is like you create habits and that's your brain's way of offloading things that are like taxing to yeah. be more automatic, right? Like it's a super efficient thing yeah. to do. The problem is, is you become unaware of these things, but then like now as you're talking and as I think about my own life, et cetera, like you, you do all these things and they start to add up and they're like, some of them are pretty benign on their own, but you, you get to this place where like you've created a life around you kind of one piece at a time or one habit at a time that is like actually maybe something that you don't want or, or create some bigger problems that you haven't really dealt with. Yeah. So that, that's a, that's a, that's a really great point because these things do become more automatic over time. 
right? And and um, at some point it worked in in a in like a spe- at a specific time, but like we never actually thought about like is this the thing that I want to do all the time, right? You know, and if we just bring some awareness to it, then we can actually start to intervene and change. And we can actually like create a you know create choices based on our values and. I would say in general, like we're, we're pretty bad at, as, as, as think as humans of thinking about like, do I want to do this thing right now that will have longer term implications for me, right? <laughs> like we're very present oriented. Um, yeah. but sometimes it's like, sometimes it's even in context that like, you know, like it work, for example, like if I'm mentoring someone, you know, who's starting out as a, a consultant, let's say, and, and like, they're like, oh, like, should I do this project where I have to build a really big data set? Like maybe, maybe that's interesting for you, but like, unless you want to be the the guy or girl who's like the go-to person for building massive data sets from now onward, because that's a really rare skill. Like you might not want to do that right now. Like it's an interesting idea. It could be super cool, but like it's going to have downstream implications that like you, you may not actually be that excited about. Right. And so I think in general, like we're in, as individuals, we seem like we're pretty bad at picking up our heads and say like, what am I actually signing up for? That's not just this thing right in front of me. Well, and so it's cool that you say that because that's an example that I never would have thought of. And I'm actually going to noodle on that a lot because it is, it is like easy to go like, oh, this project seems super cool. Right. But is this like, is this going down the right path? And it, and that just kind of like jumps out to one of those things where like, um, the, like the people that hire me are typically people who have like really amazing careers and great families and they're like pillars of the community and like do all these, um, do all these great things really, really well and have this like blind spot in this like one place. Right. Yeah. And so it just hit me like, like, of course what you said just relates to what I was saying, but I never, I would have, I never saw that. It is is funny. You make that point. Like there's certain things that, that some people are really good at. And then there's always things that you're bad at. Right. And so like, there's certain things that I'm really good at, but like part of this conversation, part of the reason I'm excited about it is because I really struggle with some of these things. Right. And so it's, it, you know, there's nothing in which anyone I think is, is, is perfect. And so that can be a helpful starting point. But I also think sometimes it is helpful to say like, here's an example from a different part of your life where like you see it and it makes logical sense to you. This is exactly what you're doing and it's the same thing, but, but it's, it's having the opposite outcome for you. Um, I want to, I want to like, I want to talk about your recommendations and we'll talk about how, how do you start to unpack this? But, but I guess before we do that, um, you've had a change in your approach and I'll let you talk more about it. Um, but part of the reason you wrote this book is because you started to see things a little bit differently. And I think that's super cool and worth calling out because I know sometimes people get sort of attached to like their dogma, their approach, their thing, and, and are, they struggle to let go of the past. I have a lot of respect for the fact that like you've called this out and been super clear about it. I imagine that you incurred some pain as a result of it, but like, just <laughs> tell me like philosophically, what was the, what was the, sort of the big change or insight that you had? And then let's talk about it for a minute and then we'll get into the actual guidelines and skills. Okay. So, um, so I'd kind of made a name for myself I, and, and I wrote a book um, and I used to speak and train and, and all this stuff about um, keeping a food journal. And like keeping a food journal was the thing I, I hung my hat on and um, everyone liked it. The way that I approached it was I was still like, I was, I was kind of early on like habit, like habit-based dieting, right. Or habit-based nutrition. Um, and so I was trying to approach it from habits and I was like, here are the habits we work on and keep a food journal and try and pull your, your habits out of your, out of your food journal. And um and it was going well, like th- things, things were cool. Um, what's interesting, it was at the time, like, like now that even seems like, like a few years ago, but at the time that was a step forward from just giving people a diet, right? 
Mm. Um, so that seemed pretty cool. Um, it seemed kind of innovative. Like other trainers liked it. It worked. It worked for a percentage of clients. And at the time, I was really good at getting. I was really good at, at basically selecting for the kind of client that that would work for. Mm. Right, the kind of client that was like on the edge of like maybe they'd been more successful with dieting than most but still they were like falling off in weird ways or or they were still like like rebounding you know like like they weren't quite there but they were still more that direction and i noticed a couple things so so sometimes i would get clients that it that it didn't work for and i was like what's going on there and then um, the thing that really hit me was like I, I had a few few clients that were like the most the most like motivated clients that got like the best results, and I remember how it seemed like it was getting harder over time instead of easier. When they'd go on vacation, they'd be like free for all, and then we'd come back and start over. I was like, something about this feels wrong. I was like, shouldn't things get easier over time? Like, why is this like? Why is this like a perpetual grind forever? Um, and then also like, why are these other clients, why are there these other clients that like, I can't make a difference for at all? Like that, like kind of bugged. I think that's interesting too. Like I, that has been kind of my experience with food journals is like, it's a, I think it's an awesome tool to learn, like to understand that like not everything has equal calorie contents as it turns out, right? Like, or like <laughs> in certain things are just like devastating to eat. Like you should be mindful about whether you eat them if you're like really trying to lose weight. Um, yeah. Or like to your point about like, you know, it gives you some insight into like, why, why am I eating so much more today? Like, Oh, like I didn't get any sleep last night. And so today I'm a disaster. Like that's a really helpful yeah. connection to start to unpack. Totally. Right. So as a tool, I think it's awesome for learning. I had a similar experience too, which is like, this is insanely difficult to do. And like, it's going to break me as a human being. Like it's so unsustainable <laughs> to try to do this yeah. all the time. Cause like, I don't know, I personally, I have this drive for novelty and for autonomy and for control, like for yeah. all these things where like a food journal is the worst case scenario. Right. Um, and so I, yeah. I totally could see that. So I want to talk about what your guidelines and skills are, I guess, maybe just as a starting point, like what is the guideline and what is a skill? Cause we, I think we talk about guidelines and with respect to food, that's not a huge departure. Skills is not something people are talking about. Um, but I think that's important, right? So, so like, I guess before we dive into what they are specifically, why are you talking about eating skills? My, my background is personal training, right? Like I, like I came from fitness and like movement skills, uh, make sense to me. And, and I realized that the more I was using metaphors from the gym, the better people did with eating, right? Hmm. So I, I realized that like habits isn't even an accurate metaphor for, for what we're, for what we're doing, right? Cause it's, it's not like, like a habit even still kind of feels like you're always like climbing or sliding, like learning to eat based on your hunger and fullness cues, learning to distinguish between hunger and stress is more like learning to play guitar than it is having a habit to floss every day. Yeah. And once we get that, we realize that like, oh, you know, I haven't played guitar in five years, but if I picked it up right now, I could get back to where I was a lot faster than when I, like, I, like I'm never, in, in my entire lifetime, I'm never gonna be starting over at zero again. Yeah. And that's the way, um, that's the way skills are. I think that part's really helpful. Like going back to the beginning of the conversation where we were talking about, you know, how like you fall off the wagon and you feel bad about yourself and it's like even harder to climb out of the hole. That's really different yeah. than a skill where like, I don't know, like I, I still know how to swim. And so you could put me in a pool. Like I don't feel bad about the fact that I haven't swam in 15 years. Like I get in the pool and I can swim. Like, I, like so I think <laughs> there is something there about like taking the guilt and the shame out of it and just focusing on the fact that it's something that you can build up and you can get better at over time. 
Um, and if you, if you take a break or you fall down or whatever, like it's okay. Like you just, you just get back up and keep going. I think that, that, I don't know, to me anyways, that feels like a really powerful mindset shift. A person could swim three days a week and get better at swimming, right? A person could play, play guitar three days a week and get better at guitar. Obviously they'd get better faster if they're doing seven, obviously they'd get better if they're doing twice, you know, but like, but at the same time. It's, it's one of those things where like it, it really smashes the whole like this day is shot thing yeah if you practice two meals that day that's two meals of practice you know like that practice still stacks up you're right that i think that part's even more powerful like it's it's cool that you're you're not always starting over but i think what's more more exciting is that it's accessible like you don't have to do it you're not either like in or out it's not a totally binary thing like you can start incorporating it and so i could have I could have one meal, not to like, not to cheat here, but I could have one meal where I eat more mindfully, like I eat more slowly. And like, that's a meal where I probably will eat less, where I probably will enjoy my food more and where it will make it easier for me to do that again in the future. Like that's all really good stuff Yeah. that if I was doing a diet, like wouldn't count at all. No one cares. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Nailed uh, it. Cool. So let's talk about the actual guidelines and the actual skills. Yeah. Walk walk me through what are your what are your big ones and and what's like what are you trying to get at with them? So like a big guideline, like a big starting guideline would be like four to six hours between meals without snacking okay. in between. And that's a guideline, not a rule, right? So <clears throat> it doesn't mean that you can't snack, right? It just means that like, oh, I've got this guideline and like the default is to not snack. So if I'm going to have a snack, I should use some skills, right? And so the skills you might put in there would be like, oh, um, I'm going to distinguish like, oh, like, okay, it's three o'clock in the afternoon and I really want to have a muffin and, um, and, you know, but I've got this guideline of four to six hours between meals. Um, I, sh- I should check in. So I'm going to ask myself three questions. Do I feel a hollow feeling in my stomach? No, like uh, maybe I feel kind of like a tightness in my shoulders. Like that's not the same thing. Um, do I feel hungry for a balanced meal? No, I really just want a muffin, you know? And if I wait for like 10 or 15 minutes, does it build or fade? And like, oh, you know, I waited 10 minutes and I forgot. Like I just like went back to work, right? And so that, that skill is, is checking in, right? And you put that skill inside of that guideline, but the same, but the, the reverse is also true. Let's say you were like, oh, you know what? I do feel a hollow feeling in my stomach. And you know what? Uh, actually, anything sounds good right now. And and you know what? I waited 10 minutes. And I'm for sure hungry. Like my stomach's growling. Go go eat. <laughs> like, like it's not a rule. <laughs> this isn't like a like a way to like trick you into like not eating when you're hungry. It's um it's a guideline so that you have a framework to practice the skill of noticing the difference between hunger and stress yeah right and um and so that's that gives you kind of like that's what the guideline is and that's what a skill might be but you might also put in skills around like i i I don't feel a hollow feeling in my stomach i do feel like really tense in my shoulders and i'm like breathing really shallow and what's going on well you know my boss just yelled at me and i really want this muffin i really really want this muffin but like i think my boss yelling at me probably had more to do with it than than actual hunger how do i how do I be with that? And you might put in a skill, like a lot of times we call it un- unhooking, where you notice your uncomfortable thoughts or you notice your, your emotions as sort of like an observer, 
like as you're watching them on TV, and we get a little bit of distance. Like, oh, I notice I'm having all these thoughts about my boss yelling at me. I notice I'm like mm. having these thoughts like he always yells at me, or I'm bad, or like why do I always do that? You know. But like the difference between between treating it like it's true, like I am bad, and my boss always yells at me, and this always happens, and and I feel super bad, and I need to numb it out, and da da da. da. It's like, oh, I notice I'm having these thoughts. I'm I'm the noticer. It's normal to have all these thoughts when my boss yells at me because that doesn't feel good. Any human would feel like that. This tension I have in my shoulders and you know what? Like I feel frustrated. I'm kind of a little bit angry. You know, and all that's normal and I can notice that and get a little bit of distance. It doesn't change it. I still feel it. But then all of a sudden I've got the wiggle room to move. Then I could actually go like, oh, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna take a five-minute walk. It's, it's interesting because it's like um, the guideline gives you the entry point to like to be more mindful about it right like so i have this idea of like what a normal day should look like and if i'm deviating from that then i can i can make a point to check in like i guess i'm building a habit or a skill in that case of of checking in when i feel you know the urge to deviate from what's like normal ish uh and in that moment like to your point like you could unhook from it i suppose i could substitute it with a healthier behavior so like instead of getting a muffin i could go do some squats or get some fresh air or like call my mom or like whatever. Right. Like I could do any variety yeah. of different things. Um, but like the, the trick I feel like is, is that moment. It's just like that, that recognition and unbundling and undoing all the stuff we were talking about before of like those loops where you just boss yells at you. It's muffin time. Now I feel better. Now I feel worse. <laughs> and, like, and you're in, it's kind of off to the races from there. Right. So like another version of that would be like a 10 minute pause which is like, I've got a guideline that I pause 10 minutes where I don't ever have a snack without pausing 10 minutes, right? We're separating the stimulus from the response, right? Everyone makes a better, more mindful decision like 10 minutes later than like right in the instant that they want the muffin. Yeah. And again, it's not a rule. You could you could, you could, could totally have it, right? right? Right then. I mean, at the end of 10 minutes, you get to choose. You can go either way. But it's it's one of those things where most of, most of the time we aren't making mindful decisions because we actually just don't give ourselves enough time. That makes sense. And I can see how that's something that would be getting worse over time where people feel like they're just busier and busier, right? What um what are some of the other guidelines and skills that you're you're into? So um another guideline would be like, you know, like I was talking about the plate guideline. Um it looks uh it looks a lot like Harvard's healthy eating plate. Um it's it's actually a little bit less rigid than theirs. Um, but uh it's just like half a plate vegetables, quarter protein, quarter carbohydrates, a tablespoon of fat, something like that. And it's it's pretty loose, you know. Uh, the basic idea is you probably want some protein, you probably want some carbohydrates, and you probably want a little bit of fat, and vegetables are good. And um and and the whole thing is like that's not like a rule, that's not magic. It's just like, oh, that works for fullness, right? Mm. Like protein, carbohydrates, and vegetables. Uh, if you have those things, it makes it a lot easier to practice the skill of noticing when you're full and stopping. And then protein, fat, and vegetables makes it a lot easier to stay full between meals. So that makes it easier to practice all of the between meals snacking things, right? So it's not magic. It just like works for practicing these other skills around hunger and fullness, right? Yeah. And so if we think about it like that, then it isn't it isn't about getting it perfect. Like I don't care if it's a third, but like I like I really I don't even care if it has no vegetables. If it has no vegetables, then you just know, oh, you know what? Today when I practice stopping when full, it's gonna be a little tougher. And that's okay. Cause I know that and I can prepare myself for it. 
That's cool. I feel like it's it's just a very helpful like jumping off point. Like, okay, like this is loosely optimal. Like it's a good starting point for most people most of the time. And so if I'm deviating, totally fine. But there's like implications to that that I should just be mindful of. Yeah. Tell me about like the actual process of eating. Cause I feel like you have some, some ideas here that like were new to me that I'm finding are, are like actually really cool on a lot of different levels. So tell me about like, I've got this plate. I've waited my four to six hours ideally <laughs> or 10 minutes. Cause it's a, a huge snack that I'm about to have or, or whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, And now I get to a place where like, I'm actually going to start eating. What does good look like here? Or what are this? maybe a better way of asking that is what are the skills that I should be trying to build? Two guidelines that, that can really help are um, one, putting the fork down between bites. Really, really helps. Again, it's just one of those things where like, if we're going to check in um, about um, if, we're, if we're getting full, uh, it helps to have enough time. <laughs> you know, and, and we all know that like, it's easier to notice we're getting full if we slow down, right? But like, yeah. slow isn't an action putting your fork down between bites is an action. Like it makes it a lot more like operational for people. Like it makes it a lot easier for people to actually do. And that's one of those that's, it's cool because um, it, people do end up usually eating less. People usually end up eating their food more. It's a thing that doesn't matter what you're eating. Mm -hmm. Let's say you're in a situation where you can't have a balanced plate. You're like, oh, I can't have a balanced plate, but I can't put my fork down between bites. So I actually still have a pretty good shot at stopping when full when possible, like eating without screens really works. There's some really weird research around uh, eating while distracted, where um, if people eat watching screens, not only do they eat more at the at the meal that they're eating, they eat more at the next meal. Wow. And, um, and it's one of those things where like, they, they believe that it, ha- it has to do with our memory of the meal. And they've done some some interesting research with people that have like like 50, 50 first dates level of amnesia, you know, where you can like feed them, and then feed them, and then feed them again, and um, and they know that they're uncomfortable, but they don't know that they're full. We're trying to learn these skills about checking in with our body, but we're as humans, we're also like not super great at that. And so, if we can like slow down and like notice our meal and like taste the flavors and like not be entirely distracted, then those are all those all help with like the mental setup of like knowing how much we ate and trying to sort out what we're feeling, which is not one of those things like, like making one plate and stopping, right? Like we're, we're, we're a lot better off. Like people self-regulate much easier when they look at one plate and see how much they ate versus hmm. like getting little plates and getting seconds and second. Like we just don't connect how much, you know? Um, and then all that goes into the skill of actually like, taking a moment, checking in with my stomach. How do I feel? Does this feel like I'm getting there? Does it feel like this is going to get me to the next meal? I'm going to ask you a question that I suppose like indicates the depth of this problem, or at least with me. What, uh, what is the moment at which you are full? Like, how do you know when you have eaten a reasonable amount of food and you should stop? Ooh, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, because everyone's got like a different entry point into, into the skill, right? For, um, for a lot of people, uh, what they think of as, as being full is actually like overfull, right? And that's, that's like kind of what they've done their whole life. What I've found is that it's easier to um, to cal- like reverse calibrate how much at, at a meal to learn what it should feel like. Okay. So like um, 
it's pretty normal to get to start feeling a little bit hungry like about a half hour before your, your next meal. So if you're starting to feel a little bit hungry like about a half hour before your next meal, then you know you got the last meal right, right? It was about the right amount of food, it was about the right balance, it was about the right amount of time between meals. Like all that was kind of dialed in. If you get hungry like two hours before your next meal, it was way too little. If you never get hungry before your next meal, then it was probably too much. It's like, so, so what you're initially doing is you're playing the game of like, you're like, I'm, I'm guessing that this is the right amount to get me to the next meal. And you're like, look at it. And you're like, I'm, I'm guessing. And then you get to find out. Right. And then, so, so when you're guessing, you can see how you feel. And then you see how, then you see how it worked and that's how you calibrate. So it's actually like a little bit backwards. The, um, the other thing that we haven't talked about, but I, I read in your book and I thought was really eye-opening for me was you talk about how snacking is like problematic on a bunch of levels, but one of the challenges with it is it doesn't fill you up, right? And so if yeah. you, so your body doesn't like have whatever, whatever that point is, you don't hit that point where your body recognizes like, oh, I'm, I'm full. I've noticed yeah. that a lot too, where like, you know, I would, maybe out of boredom, maybe because I was hungry, who knows, like you might have a snack and even if it's healthy, like let's say you have a, I don't know, a banana with some peanut butter or something like this seems a reasonable thing to have as a snack. Uh, like it doesn't really impact your hunger level. Like maybe yeah. it impacts like the immediate amount, but like I might be equally hungry 30 minutes later or an hour later. Cause like it, you just never trip that switch where your body's like, all right, cool. We're good yeah. for a while. That yeah. is like things like that I think are so fascinating and, and makes me wonder like, how come nobody taught us these things, right? Like, how did we get to this place where like something as basic as this is just a total black box? It's a total mystery. <laughs> um, why were we never taught it? I have no idea. There's a lot of things I wish I wish I wish I was taught <laughs> in school. But yeah, like it does. It doesn't provide enough stretch reflex in our stomach, which is the the which is like our main signal, like f- like physically, um, and it also doesn't trip all of the like hormonal signals it it just isn't enough mm. um and then the other thing is like like again going like to like our like our uh, memory of the meal and our experience of the meal and like how we like we don't relate to snacks in the same way and so this is another thing that's been replicated over and over and over if you if you have someone eat the amount of like serve themselves food for dinner and then eat how much they want it doesn't matter if you give them a snack or not they'll still eat the same amount Hmm. like the, like the snack had no like 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 we we never adjust our our meals based on like our snack intake so for for someone who's interested in getting started someone who's intrigued by this right like obviously i recommend the book i'll link to it in the show notes um but like do you recommend starting with one of these skills or guidelines and just kind of working on that f- for a while like until you get your training wheels and like you're you're feeling good about it or do you pick a couple of them or do you do them all because they work together really nicely? Like where do you have your clients start? That is a great question. Oh, that was a great question. Um, so unlike everyone else in the, in the habit world, it's like one habit at a time. These, these do work really well together. I like, I wouldn't have you practice, uh, distinguishing hunger from fullness without having some guideline to set that up, whether that's four to six hours between meals or pausing 10 minutes, right? Um, usually uh, we work with three or four skills at a time or, or like, and I say skills, like like three or four skills and guidelines at a time. Maybe we mm-hmm. have a skill and a guideline for during meals and a skill and a guideline for between meals. And those all kind of fit together. You're like, oh, wow. You know, like when I played a balanced meal, it actually is easier to work on the, the, 
full of skill around meals and it's easier to work on the snacking suit, you know, like, like it, it does work together. That being said, um, we don't work on all of them at the same time, right? There's a bunch of them. And if, if it gets beyond more like four, like five, even like it, it starts to get unwieldy and people start forgetting a start and it, it's hard to use them all. Um, so three or four at a time is usually, is usually, um, seem, seems like it's the sweet spot right now. What I've, what I found helpful, like I'll just share my own experience is that, um, it seems like it's helpful to have sort of a guideline in your mind or a skill in your mind when you're doing a discrete action. So like if I'm, um, if I'm in between meals, it's helpful for me to think about like, okay, like I should be eating every four to six hours. If I'm hungry right now, like I should probably be waiting or checking in and understand like, why, why is that? Right. Yeah. Then when I'm like going to prepare a meal, like that's where like the balance plate is super helpful of like, okay, like there's nothing green on this plate. Like this is, this is like, I should try to do a little bit better here or whatever. Right. Um, and so there's kind of like the, in the preparation phase. And then there's like when you're actually eating where like the, all the things related to like slowing down, being more mindful, et cetera, seem like they make a lot of sense. So I, I, I'm, that's kind of what I found. And obviously I'm, I'm still early days in this and I'm not a master of it, but it's, it's like helpful that there's kind of like one thing to be thinking about in a given moment, but you can do a bunch of things overall because obviously you, you kind of live through different moments over the course of a day. I, I, I actually really like the way you put that. I really, really, really like the way you put that. I think the other thing that I would just add is like, I think what's cool and it's exciting about this is that, um, like Tim Anderson talks about being your own chef. Like he talks about how like with your resets, like the the whole goal is like figure out what works for you. Like what feels good, do things that feel good for you. I like how there's the flexibility, I think in this, certainly in original strength, but I think here as well, where like you can kind of start where you want. Like everyone struggles with different things. Like what I'm, what I'm working on or what I'm trying to get out of all this is, is like totally different than, than someone else. Um, and that's cool. That's great. Like, I like that the flexibility allows you to do that. Whereas if I, like, I don't want to pick on another community, but like, if I go to another diet community, like, you know, you're, you're either in or you're out. Right. And, um, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's not always the amount of flexibility that, that like might be helpful for someone given their personal goals, challenges, abilities, like whatever it is. Yeah. And that, so that actually, that actually brings up another thing where like, there's like 10 skills and like 15 guidelines. Right. And people will usually work through many of them, right. They probably won't work through all of them, but they'll work through many of them usually they'll finish with just like three or four for the rest of their life. Mm. Right. Like they're not going to be carrying around, you know, like they're going to sort out here are the ones that actually like, Oh, you know what? If I do these three or four, like it kind of takes care of everything. And yeah. my three or four might be different from someone else's three or four. Oh, that's super cool. I love that. There's like, there's the optionality. Like you get to, you get to practice and see, like explore and see what works for you. And then ultimately though, it's like some subset that, that really works. That's, that's super cool. Um, last question for you, Josh, this has been really helpful, really interesting for folks who want to learn more, right? So obviously the book, again, I'll link to that in the show notes, but like people who want to follow along with you, want to get in touch with you, like where do you send people who want to learn more? Yeah. Uh, so my blog is joshillis.com. Um, you can also catch me on Instagram at Joshua Hillis, um, the books on Amazon. Um, and then I've got uh, the eating skills coaching program at GMB fitness. Cool. Awesome. Josh, thanks so much for coming on the show. This is super interesting. Thanks. thanks for the work that you're doing. And thanks for trying to demystify, uh, something as basic and complicated as food. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. This is fun. <laughs> thanks so much for checking out this episode. If this was your first time listening to Reinvented, be sure to click the subscribe button now. If you've been enjoying the show for a while, don't forget to leave a rating in Apple Podcasts. And if you know someone that would love this episode, take a moment to spread the word. Thanks again. 
and I'll see you next time.